this time, I'll invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text today. So we're going to look together at Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Uh, this will sound very familiar because we just read it uh, in our first, in our, in our earlier gospel reading. Uh, we read the passage that I preached on last week, 935 to 38, and then we read right through the passage for this week, 10, 1 to 4, into uh, the, the text of the next sermon in the series, uh, in uh, verses 5 and following. Uh, so I'm going to have you open up to Matthew 10, 1 through 4, and I will reread this for us together. This is God's holy word for us, his people, this morning. And he, Jesus, called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Who betrayed him? Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, we pray that you would indeed open up this word to us today. May the unfolding of your word give us light, the light of your wisdom, the light of your truth. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear Jesus himself as he stands forth from this passage and reveals himself to us. And teach us what you have for us today. And we'll give you the glory as you give us the heart and the will to believe and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we continue this morning with our series, our new series. We started last week in chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, and today we continue with the second sermon in this series, and we're going to be looking at the entirety of Matthew chapter 10. And I've called this the Sermon on the Mission, much like Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. We come to chapter 10, and Matthew gives another length, or Jesus gives another lengthy sermon in Matthew's gospel. And if the first is the Sermon on the Mount, this one is the Sermon on the Mission, where he's giving his instructions to his disciples about his mission and the mission that they are going to join him in. This really is chapter 10, really is an explanation for us of how to do the Great Commission. Once Jesus says at the very end of the gospel, go therefore into all the nations, make disciples, teach, baptize, etc., really he's, he can say it in such a short summary way because we, he's assuming we've read the first 20 seven chapters up to that point in the gospel, and we've seen the explanation, we've seen what the mission is, we've heard what the teaching is, we know what baptism is because we've read the gospel. And so he can assume a lot when he just gives the Great Commission in that summary way. Chapter 10 really is, is the lengthy unpacking of what that commission looks like, and it could easily be called the Great Mission instead of the Great Commission, but they really mean the same thing. This is the sermon on the mission or the sermon about what the Great Commission means. These are our marching orders that we should strive to keep. We, the Forks, should strive to keep. These are the things that should keep us here at the Forks in our ministry together focused on what our mission is. 
And so we began last week by looking not at chapter 10, but Matthew's preface to chapter 10, 9.35 to 38. And in that passage, Matthew summarizes for us Jesus' mission, and he presents this mission of Jesus as a model for his disciples to follow. And as you may recall, that model had six elements in it that we looked at in detail last week. And these were go. Number one was go. Don't stand still and wait for people to come to you. You go to them. Go. Number two was teach. Once you get where you're going, here's the things you should start doing. You should be teaching. Teaching what? Great Commission says, teach them to obey whatsoever things I've commanded you. So you teach the Sermon on the Mount. You teach the content of Jesus' teaching. Teach the people that you go to the teachings of Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus, believe in Jesus, love Jesus. Number three was preach. Preach the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of repent and believe and who Jesus is and what he came to do and what the kingdom is and what it means. Preach that big, full gospel message. And then number four was heal the sick. Number five was have compassion on the helpless and the oppressed. And then finally, number six was pray for the harvest and pray for more laborers in the field to help bring the harvest in. These are the things that Jesus did himself, modeled for his disciples, and then told them to go and do likewise. And nothing's changed since then. It's the same for us today. Of course, where we're going in the context and the civilization and culture and society changes, but the mission stays the same. In our passage this morning, Jesus turns to his disciples and tells them, now it's your turn. He calls his disciples to step up and step out. This is their very first opportunity to begin putting what they have learned into practice in this short-term ministry tour around Galilee. Jesus is about to send them off for their first trip around Galilee to do what they've watched him do in his first trip around Galilee. They get to now put it into practice. And here at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus presents us with the men for the mission. The men for the mission. And there are at least three lessons that we can learn from these men for the mission who were named for us in verses 2, 3, and 4. At least three lessons that we can learn from them. Lessons that can help us as we consider ourselves as the men and women for the mission of Jesus right here where we are today. The first lesson that we learn is this. Jesus is calling us to go from disciples to apostles. Look at verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2, where, Jesus said, where it says of Jesus, He called to Him His twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Beginning of verse 2, the names of the twelve and he doesn't say disciples. He changes it to apostles. So in the, in the span of two sentences, they've gone from disciples to apostles. 
The twelve are called disciples. Then they're called apostles. So this should make us ask some questions of our text. What's the difference? Do they mean the exact same thing? Or is there some significance to changing what they're called? What's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? How do you go from one to the other? And what does it mean for you to do the same, to go from disciple to apostle? Well, let's define our terms. What is a disciple? We've talked about this many times. And this, this definition should be just burned into your memory at this point. If it's not, that's okay. Here we go again. What is a disciple? The word disciple means student. So just get it in there. It's not a super religious term. I know it sounds like one because we've used it for 2,000 years. Disciples may sound spiritual. But any kid in a class learning his ABCs, that's a disciple, a student, a pupil, a learner. Anybody in class, anybody taking the course, that's a disciple. A student, a disciple here is a student of Jesus in his traveling school. You see, Rabbi Jesus is an itinerant teacher. And the technical word for that is he's a peripatetic teacher. And peripatetic just means someone who walks around. So a peripatetic teacher is a person who teaches on the move, on the go. It's a teacher who doesn't have a classroom where you come to school and he just stands there and teaches. He's the kind of teacher who says, come follow me. And then they leave what they're doing and then they go to school which moves around. It's an itinerant school that he has. He teaches on the go, and his students follow him around instead of coming and sitting in chairs and desks. What's their job? What's the job of the disciple? His job, her job, is to watch the master. Watch the master. Watch him. Listen to him. Interact with him, ask questions when you don't get it, and then repeat him and imitate him. This was not unique to Jesus. That's what traveling discipleship looked like. If you're a rabbi and you had students who followed you around, this is what they were supposed to do. And in fact, Paul gives us a great Uh, definition of this or a great uh, illustration of this in his discipleship relationship with Timothy. Paul calls himself Timothy's father, and Timothy he calls his son in Christ. It's like a son learning as an apprentice at his father's business. That's the idea. And here's how Paul describes it in 2 Timothy 3, uh, 10 and 11 and verse 14. He tells Timothy, you, however, you have followed my teaching... You have followed, that's discipleship language, you've followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. And in verse 14, he says, As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. See, that's discipleship. You have learned my aim in life, how I live, how I talk, how I love, how I handle challenges, how I face sufferings. 
how I'm content with loss and with nothing, how I love Christ and follow Christ. You are supposed to follow me, learn it, take note, repeat it, learn how to teach others, learn how to emulate it, imitate it, and live it. That's discipleship. And this happened with Jesus and his 12 by living real life together. They followed him around. They ate together. They camped together. They traveled together. They just they were just in his they were just in his airspace all the time, just inhaling his presence, learning to do and to be and to teach and say who he is and what he says. That's the job of the disciple. And the goal of discipleship, the goal of being this kind of student, is to be able to repeat Jesus' teachings and reproduce his way of living in your own life, and to be able to teach and show others to do the same. Okay, that's a disciple. What's an apostle? An apostle is someone who is officially selected and sent out on a special assignment. Someone who's officially selected and sent out on a special assignment. In fact, the word apostle, the noun in Greek, just means someone who is sent. Someone who is sent. And in Greek, the noun for apostle has a verb form. It has a verb form that just simply means to send. It's not a special spiritual word. It's not a theological word. It just means send somebody. Go bring me that letter. And you send somebody. So an apostle is someone who is sent. And you can see this in our text. In verse 2, it says the names of the 12 apostles, the names of the 12 sent ones. And then in verse 5, these 12, Jesus, apostled, sent out. That's what it is in, that's what it is in Greek. Now, in English, we might say it's the same thing as commissioners who are commissioned. The 12 commissioners are named this, and then they are commissioned. That's the idea. The apostles are the ones who are apostled, who are sent out. And so that's the difference. That's the difference. A disciple is someone who follows around, who sticks with you, and learns and watches and imitates. But the apostle is the one who is then told, now you go. You go and do likewise, or you go and do X, Y, and Z. It's someone who's sent on an assignment. A disciple is a student. A disciple is an apostle in training. An apostle is a disciple who has been sent out into the mission and is actively engaged in serving and doing the mission. So, not every disciple is an apostle yet, but every apostle is still a disciple. It's just now, you're a student who's out there in the field doing the work. You are a laborer in the field. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers into the field. Send laborers, apostle people to go into the field. The disciple's the one who's learning how, what you do when you get in the field, and then the apostle's the one who's now in the field doing the job. And so the question is, which one are you? Are you the student who's still learning, 
Or are you the apostle who's still learning but is now out in the field, on the mission, doing the mission stuff? Now, this isn't, a, this isn't a guilt trip question because there's not really a wrong answer. There is a time to be both of these things. You cannot be expected to, you know, pray a prayer and then go be doing the stuff that you haven't learned to do yet. Right? So there is a learning phase. You've got to learn how to follow Jesus, of course. There's a time to be both, and even once you're doing, once you're apostled, once you're sent, once you're doing the work, you're still a student, you're still learning. You never grow past the need to keep learning and growing. But the time comes in every one of our lives when you have to graduate and get to work. I'm reminded here of a a guy I went to school with named TJ. TJ, TJ was a year ahead of me. I was in fifth grade when he was in sixth grade. Well, TJ failed sixth grade. So now I was in sixth grade with TJ. And then TJ failed sixth grade again. And I was in seventh grade. And then he passed sixth grade. And so he was in seventh and I was in eighth. Well, then he failed seventh grade. And so I was in high school and he was in seventh grade. And then he passed seventh grade. So I was a junior in high school when he was just now in eighth grade in middle school, and he was a year older than me, okay? That's TJ. <laughs> and one day, we're in the gym, and he's sitting next to one of the gym teachers named Coach Crow. Coach Crow sitting next to TJ, and Coach Crow liked to really rib his students. He, he was merciless with his, uh, with his humor to them. And so TJ's sitting there, and then somebody walks by, and TJ makes some joke like some insulting joke about the kid. (laughs) And Coach Crow looks at him and said, you know, that was pretty smart coming from a guy with a master's degree in middle school. (laughs) Right? So the point is, (laughs) is that you don't want to have a spiritual master's degree in Jesus' middle school. You you don't want to keep getting left behind. At some point... It comes time to graduate. It comes time to pass that last test. It comes time to have your degree in hand, certified disciple, ready to go. And so some of us have master's degrees in the discipleship department, but we've never actually gone out on the mission. Some of us can say, I've been a disciple. I've been following Jesus since I was eight or nine. And now I'm, you know, whatever, 35, 45, you name it. And, and that's good. You should keep following Jesus. But hopefully we grow to the point where it's time to be on the mission. It's time to get to work. It's time to use the, the stuff you've been learning. You know, the Dead Sea is dead because it has no outlet. Water flows in, but it doesn't go out. It just accumulates there and everything, and it's dead. <laughs> the Dead Sea. And so... You don't want to become stagnant like that. You want to have an outlet where the stuff that is being poured into you that you're learning and growing, you want to then go use it somewhere and apply it somewhere and serve somebody and get on this mission with Jesus and let him not just pool inside your head and inside your heart, but then open up the floodgates and let it go so that his love and life and power flows through cleanly, purely to other people.
You're collecting all this information and knowledge and growth and character, hopefully not so you can just keep it to yourself, so you can share it with somebody. You can give it away. Freely you've received, now freely give is the idea. So where are you today on that spectrum? There is a time to be a disciple. Don't hear me wrong. There's a time, I mean, to be only a disciple and not also on the mission. There's a time to be learning and growing before you're ready, to be prepared to go. But ask yourself, have I already passed graduation day and I'm still left behind? Is it time for me to ask some hard questions? Lord, is it time for me to graduate and go to be sent at last? What we want at the Forks is a church full of apostles, not just disciples. Full of people who are sent and are going in obedience to the call. Now, it's important to realize that when I say you're an apostle or you're called to be an apostle, I don't mean you're called to be one of the original 12. There's a capital A kind of apostle that only these 12 got to be as the founding members of the church with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. So I'm not saying that you're called to occupy the office of an apostle so that you can write books of the Bible. If you think you can, come see me. Okay, So there's a capital A apostle that just applies to the people named here in this list, plus a couple others like Paul and some other people. So you're not called to be that. I'm talking about lowercase a, little a apostle, where you just, you hear the call of Jesus, you know that he's calling you to be on his mission because you're a Christian, and so by definition you're called to go. And so you're here to learn and you're here to go. You're that kind of apostle. We want a church full of that kind of, that kind of person, not just the people who are learning but never applying. How do you go from one to the other? How do you move from being disciple to apostle? Verse 1 tells you. Verse 1 tells you, Jesus called to him his 12 disciples. He called them. Jesus decides when it's time to go. And so you need to be attentive and listening and watching for his call. The place you normally hear the call is when you're praying the way Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send more laborers into the field. When you're saying, Lord, send more laborers into into the field, that's when you say, and if it's my turn, tell me, I'm ready to go. And listen. Listen to see if the Spirit is saying, it's time to find a way to get on board with this mission. Start small or jump in on the deep end, however you want to do it. But get started. Be listening. Be listening for that call. You may not be ready yet, and that's fine. Keep learning, keep growing. But you might be there, and the time might be ripe to get into the harvest. Listen for the call. This brings us to the second lesson this morning. Jesus calls us into his mission, and then he authorizes that mission. And he authorizes us to go. We are on the authorized mission of Jesus. Verse 1 again, He called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority. 
And that is a really wonderful thing for Jesus to say to me. Because if I was just told, all right, go, report back when you're done, I wouldn't feel very hopeful about that. But if Jesus says, I am giving you authorization, I'm giving you spiritual power to go do what I'm asking you to do, that's good news. That means that Jesus authorizes and deputizes us to go on his mission with his power to do it. He empowers you to do his ministry in the world. And that's why we say Jesus is doing it through us, because Jesus is the one who calls us to go, sends us to go, and equips us and empowers us to go. It's like when we say Solomon built the first temple. Solomon didn't lift a finger to build that temple. He wasn't out there hammering and sawing and nailing and painting and whatever else was required to build the temple. He didn't do anything. He was in his palace tapping his feet, wondering when it was going to be done. But we say Solomon built it. Why? Because every nickel that was spent to purchase the materials was his nickel. And every person that worked on it was hired by him. And he authorized it. He commissioned it. He planned it. It's his building. He owns that building. It's Solomon's temple. Even though Solomon didn't lift a foot to build it, he paid for it, he designed it, he authorized it, he oversaw it, he accomplished it. But he did it through a whole network of workers and employees and foremen and overseers and craftsmen and everybody using their unique gift and skill to put that building together. And that's what Jesus does with us. He authorizes us to go on his mission. Now, he did it first, and now... He oversees us, and now he sends us, and he equips us. And everything you have to do the work, you got it as a gift from him. He enables you to do it, and he gives you the authority of his name to go and do the things that he's called you to do. His name carries all the authority, not yours, and that's good news. The final lesson is that Jesus calls and sends and uses unlikely heroes. Very unlikely heroes. The 12 people mentioned here um, are kind of a mess. These are not the most qualified people. These aren't the nicest people. (laughs) Um, This is kind of a ragtag group, and they're very different from each other. This group does not get along. Read the Gospels. They argue. They fight. Jesus tries to teach them about forgiveness, and they're like, okay, that's nice, but can I sit on your right hand in the kingdom? Jesus is like, without sin, (laughs) he politely cussed them out, probably. Okay? Again, Jesus' sinlessness is the most miraculous thing to me, how he dealt with anybody for two seconds without sinning, at least in his thoughts about them. But that's a different sermon. This is, not a, this is an unlikely cast of characters to be the people who build the church and do the Great Commission and go save the world. Yeah, right. Peter, big mouth Peter with his foot all the way in his mouth. Uh, and then the James and John, sons of Zebedee, they're the ones who, depending on which gospel you read, they're the ones who either ask Jesus themselves if they can sit on his right hand and left hand in the kingdom or in one gospel they send their mother to do it. 
which is just so telling. <laughs> Mom, go ask Jesus if we can have the best seats in the kingdom. Okay. And then she did it. I would have, I you know. It's amazing, right, that they sent their mom to ask for the best seats in the kingdom. It's, it's, it's just, it's startling how different and how, and this, of course, you read the Gospels and like everyone else is furious that they did this. I can't believe you got your mom to ask for, you know. So there's all these fights going on between them. Half the time they don't even understand what Jesus is saying. Read Mark and they never get anything. They never understand anything. <laughs> they do a little better in Matthew. So this, this is a group of unlikely heroes. This is not the, the greatest, most powerful, most intellectual, clever, winsome people you could imagine. The 12 was a diverse group that didn't get along. And Jesus took these guys and he said, nope, you're my guys. You're the ones we're going to do it with. You're the ones we're going to do it with. And, and here especially the difference is they weren't just surface level and petty. They were also deep. Some of them were deeply and dangerously political. Just look at this. In verse 3, you've got Matthew, the tax collector. And in verse 4, Simon, the zealot. Do you know what a zealot is? A zealot is someone who supported armed revolt against the Roman Empire. And who do you think Matthew collects taxes for? The Romans. If anything... Simon should have taken out some zeal on Matthew and stabbed him one night or something, because that's how he felt. He supported armed rebellion against Rome. And Matthew probably took taxes from Simon the zealot at some point. So that's a dangerous political mixture. Two people who could not have more different politics and more different approaches to national life and economy and everything... And yet somehow, these Republicans and Democrats got along. I'll let you decide which is which. So there were petty differences. There were deep, dangerous political differences between them. And yet they learned to pull together on this mission as one body in Christ. They figured it out. It was rough going, read the Gospels, but they got there. They figured it out. They learned to get along. They learned to forgive. They learned to support each other. They learned to get past both the petty differences and the political differences. And what did they do? They pulled together to accomplish this mission. And they were able to do it because they all agreed. They all realized that Different identities and different politics and different personalities and all the differences between them, they, they finally agreed on this, that allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord and Master and a common mission was their ultimate identity and their ultimate motivation. This is who they were. Before they were anything else, this is who they were. Disciples of the Master, apostles in His mission. That was their identity. That was their motivation. They weren't special, but Jesus did mighty things with them. And he loves to do that today. Jesus loves to use the unlikeliest of heroes like you and me. So if you feel inadequate, if you feel you're way behind in your discipleship, if you feel like the expiration date on your degree came a long time ago and you just don't know what to do next, take heart. 
Because Jesus loves to use unlikely heroes. He loves to equip and empower and send them to do things that only he can get the credit for. It's part of his glory to use you and me to participate in what he's doing. He authorizes it. He empowers it. And he just says, you go be obedient, listen to my voice, and just go be obedient. And watch me do what only I can do. And you get the joy of participating in what I'm accomplishing. Building his kingdom, not yours. So be encouraged today, Christian, and be emboldened and listen today. Listen to the master's call and be ready and willing to go on his mission for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would raise up laborers into the harvest. And if it's our turn, Let us have open ears and ready hearts and ready feet to go. Even if we don't know what that's going to mean or what it's going to look like or how we should get started, Lord, the first step is opening our heart to being willing to go, to start doing whatever it is you're calling us to do right here in our church, in our family, in our community. So, Lord, help all of us here to begin to ask those searching questions about what it would look like to get on board with this mission for us individually as groups of church members and then as a church as a whole. Help us to begin to search and think and take ownership of this mission and pull together and get past whatever differences we might have that are in the present or junk from the past that we still lug around with us. Lord, help us to get over that and to put our eyes on Jesus and not look to the right or the left, but begin to move, begin to go begin to trust, begin to walk in your power, to open up those floodgates and let it flow through us so that we can watch you doing what only you can do and we can give you such praise and such glory and our Christian lives and our walks with you will be so much richer, so much more satisfying because we're walking with you where you're telling us to go. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to do it faithfully. Help us to have our ultimate identity in you and help us to love one another deeply as we pull together and go on this mission for your kingdom, for your namesake. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.